If you've clicked on this video, chances are you love a good horror story. Lots of us love to watch creepy movies and read Stephen King books, but it's all just fiction. A made-up tale to get our hearts racing and make us check under the bed before we go to sleep. But what if some of these stories aren't just made up in a writer's imagination? Well, these five are certainly not made up. Here are five disturbing, real-life horror stories. Stephen Shaw In July 2011, Vicky Harrison decided to throw a small party at her home in Gateshead, in the northeast of England. She invited a few old friends, Michael Glover, Stephen Shaw, and his sister Anne Richardson. Vicky's ex-partner's daughter, Robin Little, was also there, and she arrived with her boyfriend, Dale Walker. The party was in full swing, and the group were drinking beer and spirits. Some were also using recreational drugs. Robin noticed that a man sitting in the corner was acting strangely. She asked Vicky for his name and was told that he was Stephen Shaw. Later, Shaw became very aggressive and caused an argument. His sister Anne decided to leave and although Shaw wanted to stay, he was persuaded to make sure that his sister got home safely. But he kept returning to the house. On the first occasion, he went back to retrieve some money that his sister had left. On the second, he used an excuse of retrieving some alcohol. At about 1.30am, Robin and Dale, who were both 19, asked Vicky if they could stay over and went to bed in the spare room. Dale was able to get to sleep straight away, but Robin laid awake for some time. She couldn't get past that feeling that there was someone else in the room with them. She woke Dale up to tell him, and he got up and turned on the light. Suddenly, Shaw rolled out from underneath the bed. He had been lying in wait there with a kitchen knife taped to each of his gloved hands. He also had a tea towel wrapped around the lower part of his face in an unsuccessful attempt to hide his identity. Shaw sprung up and lashed out at Dale, stabbing him in the neck and side. He also sliced through Dale's hand, almost severing his fingers. Dale shouted at his girlfriend to jump out of the window, but she ran towards her boyfriend to try and help him, and was stabbed in the shoulder. On hearing the commotion, Vicky ran upstairs to see what was happening. Shaw stabbed her so hard in the chest that two of her rib bones were broken. As a result of her injuries, she suffered a heart attack and a collapsed lung. She was lucky to survive, as the knife had severed an artery. She was only saved because of major emergency surgery. Shaw had previously been jailed for squirting ammonia in the face of a woman during a burglary. And in March 2012, he was found guilty of three attempted murders and jailed for an indefinite period for the protection of the public. Throughout the trial, Shaw protested his innocence. Austin Harouf Harouf was born in Jupiter, Florida on the 21st of December 1996. He lived with his mother, Mina, and graduated from Suncoast Community High School in Riviera Beach in 2015. He was a wrestling star and also played defensive tackle on the football team. He was well liked by his teammates and was known as being a good kid, although he had to be prompted to be more aggressive when on the defensive line. His father, Dr. Wade Harrow, owns a cosmetic dentist surgery in Palm Beach and has appeared on TV and radio shows. Harouf later became a student at Florida State University, and on the night of August the 15th, 2016, 19-year-old Harouf ate out at a restaurant with his family, where he began to behave bizarrely. 
At one point, he went home and began drinking cooking oil. He later returned to the restaurant, but left abruptly in an agitated state. He walked to the house of John Joseph Stevens III, who was 59, and his 53-year-old wife, Michelle Mishcon. They were in the garage at the time, and Haruf began to randomly attack the couple, stabbing and hitting them with any implements that he could find. A neighbor named Jeffrey Fisher heard Michelle screaming and tried to intervene, but he was also stabbed several times. When police officers arrived at the scene, Haruf was found on the driveway in his underwear. He was on top of John Stevens' body, making strange animal noises and eating his face and chest. Haruf even continued to bite Mr. Stevens, despite being tasered. He begged the officers to shoot him, claiming I deserve to die. He did eventually let go when he was bitten by a police dog and officers were able to handcuff him. John and Michelle were declared dead at the scene. Mr. Fisher was taken to hospital and survived the attack. Haruf was also taken to hospital because he had drunk some sort of caustic liquid taken from the couple's garage. Police officers thought that Haruf had taken the drug Flaca before the incident occurred. The designer drug Flaca can cause severe aggression, extreme hallucinations and superhuman strength. Doses of the drug can be bought for just $5. In 2015, a man in Australia was arrested when high on the drug. He was trying to have sex with a tree and believed that he was the god Thor. But a toxicology report showed no synthetic drugs in Haruf's system, although there was a trace amount of cannabis. Haruf was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of attempted murder and burglary. During the psychiatric evaluation, Haruf said he had been having bad thoughts during the days leading up to the murders. He said that he had feelings of paranoia and believed the gods and demons were talking to him. His mother also said he had been acting strangely and claimed to have superpowers. Austin Haruf is still waiting trial as his sanity at the time of the murders is being brought into question. The Strack Family In 1984, Ron Lafferty and his younger brother, Dan, brutally murdered their sister-in-law, Brenda, and her 18-month-old daughter, Arika, by slashing their throats. We mentioned this case in a previous video. Ron believed that he was the prophet Elijah, and that God had told him to remove the victims, although it was Dan who carried out the slayings. Ron believed that Brenda was standing in the way of his youngest brother, Alan, becoming part of his fanatical religious group. Sadly, many years after their heinous crimes, Dan Lafferty's twisted beliefs led to another tragedy. Fast forward to 2014, where Benjamin and Christy Strack lived in a duplex apartment in Springfield, Utah, with their children Benson, 14, Emery, 12, and Zion, 11. Christy had a dream about Dan Lafferty and became obsessed with him. Eventually, Lafferty, Benjamin, and Christy would become close friends and the couple would visit Dan every week at the Utah State Prison. Dan even claims that he and Christy were in love, and that although Benjamin knew, he didn't mind. 19-year-old Jansen was the eldest sibling of the Strack family. At about 8pm on September 27, 2004, 19-year-old Jansen walked into the Strack's apartment with his grandmother. There was no need to knock, the front door was standing wide open, Jansen had been trying to contact his parents by text message, email, and phone call, but there had been no reply. He decided to go around with his grandmother to see if there was a problem. Horrified, 
Jansen found all five members of his family dead in the master bedroom. They were found with empty bottles of liquid methadone and cold and flu medication nearby. On searching the house, a notebook was found belonging to a 14-year-old Brenson. A letter inside it was written to his best friend, bequithering all his possessions. Sadly, it was obvious that he was aware that something was going to happen and that he would be found dead before long. Benjamin, 37, and Christy, 36, had isolated themselves in the weeks prior to the incident. They ceased all contact with friends and family members. Ben even stopped going to work. When they were in contact with their family, the couple talked about wanting to escape the growing evil of the world. It was assumed they wanted to move away to somewhere more rural and live off-grid. Police determined that Benjamin and Christy murdered their two young children before committing suicide. It is not known whether Benson was forced to take the cocktail of lethal drugs or did so himself once he realized that the rest of his family were dead. Dan Lafferty believes that it was his philosophy of hell on earth that led to the Strax murder suicides. He said, my insanity messes with people's lives. I'll miss them, but I'm happy for them. I believe they are in paradise now. Both Benjamin and Christy had been given a court ordering drug treatment, although children's services were not involved with the family. Christy had been taking methadone for a heroin addiction at the time of the deaths. Both Benjamin and Christy were known to suffer from long-term mental illness and drug addictions. Angel Hayes Angel Hayes loved to ride his motorcycle as fast as he could. He would tear around the roads of his French village. His mother worried about Angel riding around at such high speeds and without a helmet and she would often lecture him about the dangers, but Angel was determined to have his freedom. Then on the morning of Wednesday the 1st of September 1937, Hayes had a horrific motorcycle crash at the age of just 18. He lost control of the motorcycle and was thrown headfirst into a brick wall. He was pronounced dead at the scene. His injuries to his face were so horrific that his parents were not allowed to see his body. His funeral was held three days later and he was interred at the village cemetery. Just days before the accident, Angel's parents had taken out a large life insurance policy for Angel, and a couple of days after the funeral, they filed the claim. This sent alarm bells ringing at the insurance company, who were sure that there was something fraudulent going on. The insurance investigators got in contact with the local medical examiner's office to find out if anything unusual had been found during Angel's autopsy. They were told that Angel's parents had actually refused permission for a post-mortem and chose to have their son buried quickly in a closed casket. The investigators insisted that Angel's body had to be exhumed and re-examined to rule out the possibility of foul play. The coffin was unearthed and returned to the office of the medical examiner. They were shocked to find that Angel's body was warm to the touch. He had a weak pulse and his breathing was shallow, but he was definitely alive. It was agreed that his skull had been fractured during the accident and this had put his body into a deep coma. This had slowed down Angel's need for oxygen, allowing him to stay alive in the coffin for three days. Without the doubts of a suspicious insurance investigator, Angel would have eventually died in the coffin, perhaps even woken up before he did so. It seems that the taking out of the insurance policy just before Angel's death was a complete coincidence. Angel went on to become a local celebrity he was an eccentric, known as a poet and an inventor. People would travel from all over France to ask him about his experience, 
and he even appeared on French TV shows. In the 1950s, Angel invented an electric security coffin that would prevent other people from being buried prematurely. The coffin had its own oxygen supply, a food cabinet, and a chemical toilet. There was also a stock of books and a radio to prevent boredom while the unlucky person awaited rescue. In 2008, Angel Hayes died at his home in France, aged 90. Agnes Wildman Accrington is a town in the north of England. In 1923, Maud Wildman lived in the small market town with her five-year-old daughter, Agnes. Maud's husband had been killed in an accident at a munitions factory during the First World War, leaving her devastated. Although she missed her husband and was saddened by his passing, Maud did not want to bring up her daughter without a father, so she began seeing a local man named John Wiley. Maud and John were married, and they moved into a lodging house at number 12 Victoria Street, which they shared with their 65-year-old landlady, Miss Hornbury. Sadly, it turned out that John was an alcoholic. He would spend a lot of time in the nearby, popular, working men's club before staggering home, where he would be both verbally and physically abusive to Maud. Some days she would arrive at the cotton mill where she worked, with a black eye. At the time, she could hardly stand because he had beaten her so badly. Miss Hornbury was very upset by this and told Maud that she would be happy to throw John out if it would help. Maud agreed, and when he returned home that morning, John found his suitcase packed and waiting for him. Before he left, he pointed at Agnes and threatened Maud menacingly, saying, I'll get back at you through her. Accrington police were informed of the threat, and they kept John under investigation for the next few days. John continued to drink a good deal, but he never tried to make contact with Maud or Agnes so the surveillance was called off. It was then that John went to Agnes's school. He saw her in the playground and grabbed her hand, telling her that they were going home to see her mother at Victoria Street. The headmistress, Miss Westall, rushed over to find out what was happening, but John tricked her with a forged letter. The letter said that the family were going to Rishton on the train, so Agnes was needed at home. Unfortunately, Mr. Westwell allowed John to leave with Agnes, on arrival at Victoria Street, John let himself into the house. Miss Hornbury was startled to see him standing there with Agnes in her front room. She screamed at him to leave, but John began to repeatedly hit the elderly lady, knocking out her teeth. He then picked up the coal shovel and continued to attack her with it. Hearing the commotion, the next-door neighbours sent for the police. Constables Flegg and Maudsley arrived shortly after. They walked into the house and found Agnes kneeling beneath the dining table. She was rocking backwards and forwards. Agnes was surrounded by a large pool of what the policeman thought was water, and there were two small white lumps sitting in the middle of the pool. It was then that they realized, to their horror, that the pool was blood and the white lumps were her hands. Agnes continued to rock with her stumps pressed hard against the floor. Miss Hornbury had wounds in the back of her head, a broken nose and other injuries about her legs and torso. Despite this, she had managed to crawl to the back door of the house, where she was found by her neighbour, Mrs. Parker. Sadly, Mrs. Parker was so distressed upon finding her friend in such a state that she suffered a heart attack, collapsed and died. The policeman found John in the kitchen. He had attempted to slash his own throat and was breathing gas through a tube that he had attached to the boiler. He was unconscious but alive. The gash was neither long nor deep and he had avoided cutting through the windpipe or any arteries. 
Agnes, Miss Hornbury and John all survived. Brave little Agnes was in the hospital for months after, but she was able to give evidence in court where she appeared with her stumps still wrapped in bandage. John was charged with felonously wounding Sarah Ann Hornbury by means of a coal shovel with intent to murder and unlawfully and unwillingly causing grievous bodily harm with intent to maim to his stepdaughter Agnes Wildman, aged five years, by severing both her hands with a razor. On Saturday the 8th of December 1923, John pleaded guilty to both charges at Manchester Assizes. Judge Branson was emotional when he said, the story of your offence is the most horrible to which I have ever listened. Cold, calculated, fiendish attempt to be avenged on your wife through this unfortunate little girl. No punishment is adequate. There is a maximum I can give, and I will. You will do penal servitude for life. Agnes was awarded £5,000 from the Mayor's Fund to help with their recovery. She later married and lived in Agrington all of her life, where she was known as the Lady With No Hands. So that's it for this video, thanks for listening, and our heart goes out to all of those affected by the stories told in this video. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you in the next one.